And we are back with another episode of The Buzz with Bernie, where we talk about all things economic development. I'm Kara Gormley-Matter, here with your host, Bernie Maybank. Bernie, what's the word? All right. I'm glad we have this show today. We're dealing with FOIA, and everybody has heard of FOIA. Everybody knows about FOIA, but a lot of them don't realize that FOIA can apply to purely private nonprofits if they receive state funds, which we'll get into. So that's going to be a surprise to some of them. There are a number of exceptions. And for people with a keen interest in the topic, uh, I'm the co-author of the South Carolina Bar Book, Nonprofit Corporate Practice Manual, and we have a chapter on FOIA uh, in that book, and we're actually doing the third edition as we speak. And we'll get into the weeds with our guest who's coming up, Attorney Jay Bender. Um, I became introduced to both Jay Bender and FOIA in my former career in broadcast journalism, and he's got a lot to say about it. So we're going to be right back with everything you've ever wanted to know about FOIA next on The Buzz. Welcome back to The Buzz, everybody. I'm Kara Gormley-Metter here with your host, Bernie Maybank. And today we are talking about how the Freedom of Information Act impacts the economic development world and nonprofits. Our uh, guest today is attorney Jay Bender. Welcome, Jay. Thanks for being here. Well, we appreciate you being here. And before we get into the details, can you give us a little bit of history, how FOIA uh, and why it's needed in the economic development world and specifically nonprofits we're going to get into as well today? Well, there, we can start. Uh, when I represented the Catawba tribe, Chief Gilbert Blue always uh, got on my case when I started talking about the treaty the tribe entered into with the King of England in 1760. But I'll I'll try to start a little bit later than that. Uh, after World War II, a lot of people who paid attention to government thought there was too much secrecy left over from wartime secrecy and good government groups and activists started pushing for access to government records and government meetings. Uh, South Carolina didn't get into the game until the mid 1970s when it passed the first version of the Freedom of Information Act, and it adopted findings, which is unusual for the General Assembly. Typically, they just pass legislation, and we don't have legislative history like Congress, for example. But in the findings, the General Assembly found that it was vital in a democratic society that public business be conducted in an open and public manner, and adopted legislation that addressed meetings, and records of public bodies. And since that 1974 adoption of the FOI, it's gone through several iterations and a substantial amount of litigation. But the key is the default position is that records and meetings of public bodies are open and that exemptions to disclosure are to be narrowly construed. So it'll be interesting to talk about this in the economic development context because there is always secrecy around economic development activities. Bernie and I may disagree on this. I think there's a revolving door between government and business with respect to economic development and the guy who's in charge of site selection this month may be working for a governmental entity next month. And I think there are no secrets 
in economic development, except those ones that are kept from the people who will be paying the bill, the citizens. But I, I know Bernie, lot. Bernie has a different view of that. <laughs> we'll disagree a bit. So what we want to do today is discuss two things. One, does FOIA apply to private nonprofits? And second of all, what are the economic development exemptions applicable to everybody in the Department of Commerce? So economic development in South Carolina is done in several different flavors. First, there are the alliances. They are purely private nonprofit but they are funded by the General Assembly each year. There's a proviso that provides substantial funding, $2 million a year to private nonprofit alliances. The second form of economic development is what I call pure county. So Richland County, Jeff Rubel is a county employee. In Charleston, Steve Dykes is a county employee. And so it's purely done by the county and there's obviously no question there, they're subject to FOIA. The third kind of economic development, which is the norm, is the county set up a nonprofit. So it's a, it's a private nonprofit, in many cases controlled by uh, governmental entities, but it's a private nonprofit, a 501c3 or c6, and they receive substantial, 30% of their funding typically comes from uh, government, in, the, in that case, local government. So the first question for you is, is a purely private 501c3 or c6 subject to FOIA if it receives state or local funding? I know this is against our union rules as lawyers, <laughs> but the answer, the answer is yes. The definition, the Freedom of Information Act applies to public bodies and the General Assembly has adopted definitions that control the application of the act and it defines a public body in several ways and the one relevant to these economic development entities is that an organization supported in whole or in part by public funds or expending public funds will be a public body thereby making it subject to the freedom of information act the status under the internal revenue code is irrelevant the University of South Carolina has an economic, or not an economic, has a, a foundation, an educational foundation, and it contended that it was private because it was a not-for-profit corporation. And the case went to the Supreme Court a couple of decades ago, and it's still the leading case on what is a public body in South Carolina. The case is Weston versus Carolina Research and Development Foundation. And in the record in that case, there is ample evidence of public money going to support the foundation from office space being provided, employees being provided, and the foundation skimmed 10% off of every grant that came to any academician at the university and then used that money for its purposes. And those purposes ranged from supplementing Jim Holderman's salary to purchasing property for subsequent developments such as Wheeler Hill. And so the court held that a purely private nonprofit was subject to FOIA because it received state funding or see public funding? Public money. And it was interesting in the context of the litigation going on right now over the federal money that is apparently on the table, the $600 million uh, for us to continue to be a repository for plutonium. The 
notion is that that is somehow federal money and not subject to state law. Uh, I think the Supreme Court decided that public money, whether it comes from the federal government or state government or county government is public money. The same circumstance probably is at play in the case now pending before the Supreme Court where there's a challenge to Governor McMaster wanting to provide $32 million or so in federal COVID relief funds to private schools. Okay, so the alliances receive $2 million a year. They're purely private nonprofits. And, the, and probably a majority of the counties have a nonprofit entity uh, that they fund that does economic development. One of the exceptions to FOIA is, is the alter ego doctrine, that if you receive uh, public funds to provide a service, that doesn't subject you to FOIA. So, for example, the, the uh, Dominion's not subject to FOIA because they sell power to the state and local governments and they receive substantial funds. An office supply company that sells office supplies to the county is not subject to FOIA, that's alter ego. They're, they're getting, uh, the county's getting what they paid for. Wouldn't the same apply to an alliance that received, say, $700,000 from state government? State government gives them the money to do economic development. I think the answer, I, if I were litigating the case, I would, of course, argue no. And the Supreme Court in Weston said that where an entity receives money from the government in an arm's length transaction, that transaction does not convert that entity to a public body. But in the circumstance you've described, these entities receive appropriations from the state. There is no arm's length transaction. There is a direct governmental budgetary commitment to the entity. So it, it seems to me it's just like the support local governments get from state government funds. They're appropriations. They're not arm's length transactions. So if the, the proviso is relatively silent regarding what the alliances do with the funds, it's clearly for economic development. If the, if the proviso said you received these funds to do economic development on behalf of the state, would that meet the alter ego exception? I would say you probably have to take a look at maybe employment law to give you some point of reference. Is a person an employee or an independent contractor? And if you get money to do a job and you go do the job, you're probably an independent contractor. But on the other hand, if you get money to do a job and the hours you are to perform that work, the method you are to perform that work and the tools you use to perform that work are provided by the entity that gives you the money, you're an employee. So I would say getting an appropriation from state government for economic development does not convert or, or does not leave these entities as outside the definition of public body. Okay. Is there any real clear case on the alter ego exception? We, you know, we had the recent case dealing with the Hilton Head Chamber of Commerce, but it dealt exclusively with 
accommodations tax, which is not relevant at all. Is there, a, is there any, if you wanted to do research on alter ego, are there any cases really on it? I think the, the case, again, that I mentioned earlier, Weston v. Carolina Research and Development makes it clear what the court sees a public body to be under the definition of supported in whole or in part by public funds or expending public funds. The notion of alter ego is not part of the FOI jurisprudence. The, in fact, I would probably, I hadn't thought about it in alter ego terms, but it seems to me that the alter ego of a governmental entity is nevertheless a governmental entity. So I would argue that that would make it a public body, but it's the receipt of public funds and the expenditure of public funds in a circumstance where there's not, as the Supreme Court said, an arm's length transaction. I always use the example when the university had the Research and Development Foundation, had it gone down to Fairfield Tractor when it used to be down on Assembly Street to buy a tractor, that didn't make Fairfield a public body, but the Research and Development Foundation by getting public funds, being supported by public funds and expending public funds was a public body subject to all of the requirements of the FOIA. Okay, so let's switch gears then. Everybody, the, the, everybody knows if they get a FOIA request, everybody being these economic development entities we've discussed, they don't just throw it away. You know, they, they, they know they got to respond to it. But they frequently overlook all the rest of FOIA they have to comply with. So if they're subject to FOIA, what do they have to comply with other than answering a FOIA request? Well, if an entity is a public body because it comes within the definition of public body in section 30-4-20, it has to comply with all of the attributes of the Freedom of Information Act. And as I said earlier, the act addresses meetings and records. So I would guess that these entities getting these public funds might be willing because somebody has told them that they have to respond to Freedom of Information Act request, they also have to conform to the requirements of public meetings, which include giving advance notice of your meetings, not less than 24 hours in advance, and there are specified ways to give that notice. The meeting has to be convened in public, and it may exclude the public only under the limited circumstances and no decision can be made in executive session where the public has been excluded. However, you know, when it comes to economic development and when folks are coaxing new businesses into the state, um, there is some expectation of privacy in some of those discussions and those are included as exemptions, correct? Well, I know there are exemptions for records of public bodies that are engaged in economic development activity, but I don't know that there's a corresponding exemption with respect to closing a meeting. And the Supreme Court decided in a case called City of Columbia versus South Carolina ACLU that 
the fact that you can exempt a record from public disclosure does not justify closing a meeting. Meetings can be closed only under the circumstances that allow for executive sessions. And I hadn't looked this morning to see what exemption might allow a public body to go into executive session. You hear a lot of people talking about going into executive session for contractual matters, and that might apply because the law would allow a discussion of negotiations incident to a proposed contract or the proposed sale or purchase of property. So if you're going to enter into a contract with ACME to come down here to build anvils that'll be used in the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote movie series, then the discussion only by the economic development entity may be held behind closed doors. There well, is and, no... And why don't we quickly turn, why don't we finish up? So if you're subject to FOIA, you have to post notice of your meetings. What else does FOIA require? You, are you, for example, you're required to keep records for any period of time? You have to keep minutes. Now, the length of time you have to keep minutes would probably be covered by some other aspect of public records law. The key is you have to keep minutes and you have to make them available for inspection and copying. I run into the circumstance all the time where public bodies try to claim that their minutes are not minutes until they've been approved, but I don't see a distinction made in the law. I think once the minutes are drafted, they become public record. And I suggest public bodies go to Smith Rubber Stamp Company and buy a stamp that says draft, stamp draft on them and make them available. But to try to hide by saying they haven't been approved yet defeats the notion of public access to public records. All right, why don't we shift gears entirely? Let's, let's turn to say a, an entity that's clearly subject to FOIA such as the Department of Commerce, a pure state agency. What are the exceptions for economic development? I know FOIA confusedly contains several of them. Well, there is a specific uh, set of exemptions for economic development. They're found in section 30-4-40. I, I pulled it up here uh, this morning and it's in subsection, looks like subsection nine of 30-4-40, memoranda, correspondence, documents, and working papers relative to efforts or activities of a public body and of a person or entity employed by or authorized to act for or on behalf of a public body to attract business or industry to invest in South Carolina. And it includes a discussion of incentive agreements. And that exemption from mandatory disclosure expires uh, after the offer to attract an industry or business to invest or locate is accepted or a public announcement of the project or finalization of any incentive agreement has been made, whichever occurs later. So the economic development activity is not to be withheld from the public in perpetuity, contrary to what a number of economic development people believe to be the law. So if you're negotiating with a company, they're down to South Carolina, North Carolina, and Mississippi, 
you can keep that information uh, private, not subject to FOIA, until they uh, either announce or contractually agree to come to South Carolina? You can keep the records exempt from public disclosure during that period. I think there should also be a provision in there that the records are no longer withheld from the public once the decision is made by the prospect to go somewhere else. Because we always hear economic development people say after they have been unsuccessful in landing a prospect that, oh, North Carolina paid too much or Alabama paid too much to get that Mercedes plant. Well, how do you evaluate that unless you know how much South Carolina offered? So I think it would close a substantial loophole if the General Assembly would require all of those records to be made available once a decision has been made, whether it's favorable to South Carolina or some other state. All right, we're running out of time. So let's turn to what are the penalties for noncompliance? So I'm a I'm a alliance, I get a FOIA and I throw the FOIA away. Um, what are the and, and I was subject to FOIA, what are the penalties for noncompliance? Well there are provisions for lawsuits against public bodies and the public body can be enjoined for continuing to violate the law. The beauty of that from the public standpoint is if the public body disregards an injunction that's been issued against it, it could be subject to contempt citations from the court if a public body does not prevail in litigation, it can be required to pay the attorney fees of the successful litigants. There used to be a criminal penalty provision, but that was repealed because it was basically meaningless. Two legal fees, one of them which everybody would enjoy is the Department of Revenue was subject to legal fees uh, by refusing to, to comply with a, a FOIA for their security breach and so they had to pay Ned Sloan legal fees. The other one, which is more common, is the uh, FOIA was issued to the Hunley Commission. They say we're a pure private nonprofit. They, they hired a lawyer, looked into it, and they agreed, yes, here are the records. So they said, we, we're not subject to legal fees. We gave you everything you asked for. And the court it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the court said, yes, but you forced them to hire a lawyer, and therefore you're subject to the legal fees. Hey, before we... Go ahead. There was a cap on the legal fees uh, to the point where the documents were turned over. The court rejected the notion that the fees should be paid for the litigation after the documents were turned over, but you're absolutely right. Coming in after suit has been filed to say, oh, here's the stuff, we're off the hook for legal fees, doesn't count. Hey, before we let you go, real quickly, can you address um, what an elected official's responsibilities are during recruitment processes? Is that addressed at all under FOIA uh, and how they respond? Well, if the elected official is designated by a body to act in the negotiation, then it could be argued that that person is a committee of the public body and committees are subject to the Freedom of Information Act, just like the body would be. 
And incidentally, I made a mistake earlier. I referred to the alter ego doctrine. It's actually the quid pro quo doctrine that I was referring to. So I, knew you, I, I knew you were confused, Bernie. I just answered the question I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> so under the quid pro quo doctrine, if a, uh, a private entity is paid for services, they're not, they're not subject to FOIA. So that's what I should have referred to earlier. If that transaction is arm's length, which to me means uh, it's negotiated and subject to competition, uh, somebody getting an appropriation from the General Assembly is likely not in competition with another entity to provide those same services. Well, Jay, it is a pleasure to have you on. And if you do hear that Acme is going to come uh, down to create an, uh, an Anvil company, you're gonna let us know first thing, right? Well, now you have to be careful because that sounds an awful lot like solicitation and I don't want to get in trouble. I'll, I'll, call, I'll call my longtime good friend, Bobby Hitt and tell him first, how's that? <laughs> Sounds good. I love a buzz with Bernie when we can get in a good Bugs Bunny reference. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your time today. All right, thank, you. <laughs> thank you, sir. And thank you for joining us on the buzz with Bernie and stay tuned or uh, click play for the next episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody.